When Joanne asked if I would like to preach this summer, I had just finished reading two books that were mainly about hope. The first was Turn My Morning Into Dancing by one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen. And the other was Scarred by Struggle, Transformed by Hope by Sister Jones Chitterest, a new author that had been suggested to me. She's not a new author, but she was new to me by a pastor friend. They are vastly different in presentation and style, but they were both very successful in prompting me to investigate hope more deeply and biblically where I came across the Roman passage we're looking at today. When I decided to use this newfound interest as the topic for my sermon, being a good seminarian, I went to one of my theology books and was surprised to find that the whole chapter entitled Christian Hope was all about the afterlife and not about hope in the lives we are living now at all. Personally, I spend very little time thinking about the afterlife. So I went back to Nowen and the good sister for my inspiration and information for this morning. Hope is a pretty large topic. So to get all, all of us on the same page this morning, let's ask the question, what exactly is real hope? Let's begin by saying what hope is not. Real hope is not fatalism. Fatalism is the acceptance of everything as inevitable. In our day-to-day life, that might sound like nothing can be done about it. In relationships, that might sound like that's just the way she is. In the working world, that might sound like that's the way things are done here. In the world at large, that might sound like How could I possibly make a difference? This is where the idea of fate comes from. That anonymous power that causes things to happen or not happen and keeps us helpless and would make us prisoners and very resistant to any kind of healing. Real hope is also not the opposite of fatalism. That Pollyanna wishful thinking that now one calls the up and down predictions. This is the blindness to reality and circumstances and claiming that everything will be just fine and all the issues will just be magically resolved. Some people say that's faith, that expecting everything to work out for the best is trusting God, but there's quite a difference between having faith and magical thinking and treating God like a magician. So what is real hope? We've been talking a lot around here about Brene Brown, with good reason. Like the other topics of shame and vulnerability, she also has something to say about hope. As I was reading her book, The Gift of Imperfection, I learned that real hope is not a feeling. It is a way of thinking, a cognitive process, and that hope is also learned. From our family of origin and other influences in early life, we learn how to hope through good boundaries and consistency and support. Real hope requires hopeful self-talk like, this is tough, but I can do it. And now let's look at the passage from Romans 5. Even though there's enough in this passage for several sermons, I want to look primarily at the two words that seem to conflict the most, suffering and hope. In the Greek, the word used here for suffering means tribulation and pressure. We can all identify with words like tribulation and pressure. 
And in the Greek, the word for hope used here is anticipation with pleasure. Paul says here, we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Now, we can all be happy about that, boasting and sharing the glory of God. And I think we can be okay with that part. But when he says we can boast in our suffering, I'm sure most of us can agree that when we are suffering, the last thing we want to do is boast about it. We just assume it go away. So what could possibly be what Paul is meaning here? Someone once told me that pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. I think that's the same person who tells me things like no pain, no gain, and suck it up. (laughs) It's probably a good thing that I stopped listening to this person. Although I can think of some instances in my life where that might be true, I don't think anyone gets through life without some measure of suffering. Now, first let me say, I don't even pretend to know why we suffer. I don't know why we get sick. I don't know why we get hurt. I don't know why loved ones die. I don't know why relationships end. I don't know why we struggle just to get out of bed some days. I don't know. I don't know why we suffer. Sometimes suffering has good ends to it. A friend of mine told me a few days before he was to marry again that he loved and adored the woman he was about to marry that since his first wife died several years before, he had grown in character and maturity. He had made new friends and gotten involved in new organizations and thrived in many ways. But he also said, if it meant that his first wife would live again, he'd give it all back to have her back. Give it all up to have her back. So I don't know why we suffer. But perhaps there is something we can do about how we look at suffering while we're in the midst of it. Sometimes what increases suffering is how we see time when we're in the middle of it. Most of us, well, actually most of the world, lives in what the Greeks call chronos time. That's minutes, hours, days, weeks, where we get chronology. We have plans and appointments and schedules that tell us where we need to be there and that we have to go here and we can't forget about this And we have to make sure we do that. And two years ago on this day, and on and on and on, you get the idea. We believe that we can manage our time. We believe that if we just keep our overscheduled lives in check, if we could just remember that commitment and keep this date, but often we find that we can become a slave to our chronos time. We can become so caught up in each hour and each minute When we are suffering, it becomes a measure of our suffering. We find ourselves asking questions like, how long will this go on? And how can I take this another minute? Chronos time can make us feel impatient and rushed and overwhelmed and exhausted. Living out our suffering in chronos time adds to our suffering. So how can we see time differently, especially when we're suffering? We still will have to deal with the world and its schedules, but there's another way to look at time, what the Greeks call kairos time, full time, God's time. This isn't measured by deadlines that we have to get done. It is the unfolding of God's purposes. Certainly there's still suffering happening. But we ask questions like, 
what might God be doing here? We have more patience. We think of things like, what something good will emerge from these trials that we're facing? Whereas Kronos time can leave us feeling as if we are wasting precious time and just spinning our wheels, God never allows time to be wasted, even in our suffering, even in the darkness and the loneliness that may take us over at times. God can use that time to help us grow, perhaps change our hearts and minds to be a little more in line with God's purposes for us, for our community, for our world. That is where we can find some hope in our suffering. This is where Paul says in verse 5, And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. To trust God is to allow for hope, even in the suffering. It is about the becoming open to the God of newness. It is about the becoming that counts. We look forward to what God has for us next. As Sister Joan reminds us, hope is fulfilled in the future, but it depends on our ability to remember we have survived everything up to this point. We can be encouraged by the evidence of God's hand in the suffering we have already survived. Hope is looking toward the next thing. Now, as I said, Brene Brown says that real hope is not a feeling, it's a thought process. But we can also believe that real hope is an act of faith and trust. We can engage in the real hope because we know that God can be trusted to handle our hope gently and with great compassion. Thomas Merton says about hope, the real hope is not in something we can do, but in God, who is making something good out of it in some way we cannot see. We have faith, as Nowen explains, in his paradox of expectation. If we believe in tomorrow, today we will live better. If we expect joy out of sadness, then we will see new life happening now. If we look forward to the return of Christ, we will see him already here. This is real hope. I'd like to close with one more thought from Sister Joan Chittister. For me, this is the best definition of hope I've ever heard. Hope is what sits by a window and waits for one more dawn, despite the fact that there isn't one ounce of proof in tonight's black black sky that it can possibly come. Amen.